Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Thank you for joining me today. It's going to be a wonderful show. Rob Louie is coming on in just a minute. And then Dr. Jeff Barrows will be coming on the program. We're going to talk about um, all the information we need to learn about the vaccination. So that's going to be all in this hour. And then second hour, Bob Mueller is going to be joining me for the full hour. Three ways you care for another person's heart. That's the topic of that hour. But right now, I've got my Bible open to 2 Timothy one seven. It says, for the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. I love that verse. Anyway, Rob Bluey is my Washington, D.C. correspondent. Always look forward to having him on. I always learn a lot. I ask questions. He answers them. It's really a lovely relationship. He is the executive editor of The Daily Signal. Rob, welcome. Thanks, Bill. And uh, it is. I truly enjoy doing the show every every Tuesday. And I have to tell you, I love what Faith Radio is doing with the random act of kindness uh, ideas. I've been getting them in my inbox nice. and trying to take action on them <laughs> every day. So uh, that's that's fantastic. What a great yeah. idea. Well, I'm going to definitely want an act of kindness story from you by the end of the month. Okay. All right. <laughs> So let's uh, let's talk about what's going on in in Washington D.C. right now. Let's start with the stimulus because that to me is alarming. In as much as what nine percent of it is um, for COVID, and the rest is all kinds of other stuff. That's right. Well, and and particularly, Bill, we had a tremendous jobs report come on on Friday, which uh, showed that. Uh, uh, employers they're starting to rehire as mm-hmm. more and more of the country reopens of course because more and more people are getting the vaccine so it's uh it's not the dire circumstances we found ourselves in a year ago now we're we're still a long ways before uh covid is done but the numbers are really encouraging when we look at the uh the number of people who've been vaccinated and who are able to go back to work uh you're right though uh the 1.9 trillion dollar mm-hmm. coronavirus relief bill includes a lot of things that aren't actually related to coronavirus. Um, We've talked in the past about the debate that the Democrats were having over the stimulus checks. These are the $1,400 checks that uh, individuals will will be receiving as early as this month. And uh, what we saw was some last minute negotiations between some of the moderates and President Biden, specifically Joe Manchin of West Virginia. And uh, he was able to um, to get, I think, what he what he wanted. He wanted to reduce the number of people who would receive checks uh, by lowering the income threshold. So uh, those numbers went down to eighty thousand dollars for individuals and one hundred and sixty thousand dollars for married couples. So if you make more than that, um, don't expect to get any money from the federal government. Uh, you, um, you're, you're out of luck in, in that department. But there were some other changes that the Senate made, which means that the bill now has to go back to the House. I expect that the House Democrats will, will pass it and send it on to President Biden without much delay. I appreciate uh, that, Rob. It's, uh, I wasn't entirely sure we had already spent the previous uh, stimulus money. That there's still quite a bit of that around, and now we're already passing another bill. So it's $5 trillion in a, in a year? 
Oh yeah, it's 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 a massive of amount of money. Yeah, it it certainly is. And and Bill, I'll tell you, there are even some individuals who are still waiting to receive their six hundred dollar stimulus checks, uh, which were approved back in December under President Trump. And then, mm-hmm. of course, we can go rewind to last spring when uh, the federal government approved twelve hundred dollar uh, checks, which. Uh, for for one reason or another, some people who who were eligible never received them, so they are able to, I guess, apply for a, a, a tax credit and, um, and 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 still get that money in a different way. But you're absolutely right. I mean, uh, so much of the uh, the good news that we were hearing about lately with the economy is is attributed to the success that only in America we have. I mean, if you look at some other countries around the world which are still struggling with with coronavirus, and I'm not suggesting that no, we, we've solved it here, but I think that we're heading on the right path. And I just worry that some of the money that's being thrown at the problem, as you indicated, um, it might not be might not be well spent. Uh, there is uh, some money that uh, hasn't that it's still out there for for others to use. Uh, for instance, you know, if we just look at um, you know a couple of, of of examples, for instance, a 170 billion dollars was set aside for uh, for schools, K twelve schools, and higher education. There was 350 billion given to states, local, uh, and and tribal governments. And you just have to wonder, what, you know, how will this money be be parceled out? How is it going to be spent? Uh, I think in in many respects, schools uh, have already figured out how to reopen. I mean, this comes a little bit too late in my in my estimation. I, I, I've told you all along that the the Bluey kids are going back next Tuesday uh, for at least a couple <laughs> days a week. So uh, you know, I mean, their school has already figured out uh, a solution. And I think that uh, this is sometimes the the problem you have when you have the federal government trying to get involved in solving so many things that would be best handled at the local level. And uh, and that's it seems what uh, what happened here. And and by the way, this is just the beginning. Uh, President Biden has said that uh, there's another maybe trillion dollar or more uh, package that he wants to uh, push through on infrastructure. So uh, we are spending money in Washington, D.C. like uh, like never before. And and I think that it just means that future generations are going to have to figure out a way to pay for the debt uh, that's uh, being accumulated. Mm-hmm. Rob, let's talk about uh H.R. 1, they call that the People's Bill. I'm a little suspicious. That's right. Um, well, uh, we, uh, we, we, we are, there's a lot of activity happening right now on Capitol Hill, as typically does in the president's first 100 days. And one of the things that the Democrats are pushing through is, uh, is this H.R. 1. They say that it would make reforms to our electoral process. Uh, in reality, I think the American people need to be skeptical. Uh, any bill that goes through with bipartisan opposition, um, not a single Republican supported this bill, and there was a one Democrat from the Congressional Black Caucus who voted against it, uh, I think that there's reason to be worried. Uh, that's not uh, the, the best way to, um, to typically enact legislation, particularly things that are going to fundamentally change uh, the elections in this country. And it would do things like basically prohibit voter ID. Uh, we know that voter ID has significant benefits to reducing fraud. Uh, we also know that there are uh, very few places that uh, you can go today without an ID. And uh, and having one to vote seems like a common sense solution that can restore some of the integrity and trust into our electoral system. But I think the uh, other things that are, are really concerning about this bill are the same day voter registration. So we have a situation where we have people on both the the left and the right who are legitimately concerned about foreign influence in elections or other bad actors uh, trying to uh, to change electoral outcomes. Well, making same-day voter registration 
prevents any sort of election, uh, prevents an election official from having that check on the system to make sure that an individual isn't trying to, to game the system uh, for, for whatever reason. And so there are, you know, a, a whole number of things that, uh, that, that are, are of great concern. The good news is, hopefully the good news, Bill, is that um, with the Senate divided 50-50, it appears that uh, this bill probably isn't going anywhere anytime soon, but we're going to keep a close watch on it. Um, it's uh, it's a, a, a piece of legislation that got the attention of former Vice President Mike Pence, who wrote a piece, uh, his first piece uh, since leaving office uh, for the Daily Signal last Thursday, in which he outlined some of his concerns about the bill. And, uh, and I think that uh, Vice President Pence uh, is somebody who... Um, having overseen that process of electoral certification speaks with some authority on the topic and, uh, and did by the way, get bipartisan praise for, for the steps that he took on January 6th. So when he speaks into an issue like this, it's uh, it would be wise for us to listen. Yeah, that's excellent. So when I think about the immigration and what's going on at the border, I've heard words like challenges and I've heard words like chaos, which one would you pick? Well, it, it, yes, it's definitely uh, it's it's a challenge and it's a little bit chaotic okay. there. Uh, that that is for sure, and it's a sad situation that we we find ourselves in. Um, Jay Johnson, who was uh, President Obama's Secretary of Homeland Security, said that one thousand border crossings uh, per day was a crisis uh, for the government. Mm-hmm. Uh, today, we are in a situation where there are we're, we're nearing five thousand crossings a day, five times what uh, the previous secretary labeled as as a crisis. Um, of course, the, the the Biden administration wants to take a, a different tack, and they um, they have not uh, yet acknowledged that it's uh, it's a crisis. Um, in fact, they've said they've got it under control. I, I think that it's unfortunate that we find ourselves in this situation, uh, particularly with COVID on top of everything else. Uh, we, we have crowded facilities. We have individuals who very well could be bringing COVID into our country, uh, could be exposing um, you know, others to, uh, to this virus. And uh, there's not a great solution. We're, uh, we're, we're picking up, we, we, we've reverted back to catch and release, which means that uh, we're, we're putting a lot of the illegal immigrants back into uh, the country and into communities uh, where we are, are unable to uh, to hold them or, or, or send them back. So um, where it's particularly sad, Bill, is the number of unaccompanied um, uh, children mm-hmm. who are crossing the border. Uh, in fact, there's some estimates that 50 percent of, of the crossings are, are kids. And uh, and, and we, we know that um, this has been a tactic that has been used in the past. Uh, we, we've we've seen it uh, in, um, in in both 2014 and 2019, where parents uh, tend to do this, and uh, they know that if the kids get settled in the United States, there might be an opportunity for them to come in. So, look, this is an issue. I know you and I've talked about it in the past, and it's one of those things that Congress seems to continue to punt down the road. But we need to have some sort of legislative action. Congress, I think, needs to step in and close some of the loopholes and uh, and clean up our immigration system in a way that will avoid the kind of crisis that we now find on the U.S.-Mexico border. And Rob, when I think that I think the number one criminal enterprise in the world right now is sex trafficking, I would imagine there are plenty of bad actors that are exploiting children, bringing them across the border as well. Oh, yes. Uh, we, we sh- yeah, you're absolutely right. We should not discount that. I mean, I have, I've talked to people like Mark Morgan, who is the former head of Border Patrol, and heard horror stories about um, what, he, what he saw and witnessed in, in his 
previous posts working on immigration. And you are absolutely right that there are kids who are are being abused and being trafficked. Um, and I think that that should should concern us all. I, I, I frankly, I, I, I don't. I, I don't understand how – I mean, Bill, I, I understand why the situation got out of hand so quickly because I think that obviously there was a change in administration and you went from a president who had a really strict and tough border policy to one who came in and among the first actions was to cancel the construction on the wall and, and to undo a lot of the policies that we've had. But um, but it's a humanitarian crisis that we now find ourselves in, and, and I, I think that you know when you are inundated with so many people, there's there's really – um, little solution. We're not prepared for it. And I, I don't think renaming our detention centers as reception centers and some of the other things that they're talking about are necessarily going to improve the situation. I worry that, uh, particularly with these kids, that, um, you know, what, what, does the life, what does their life look like if they find themselves in a situation where they're separated from their family and have no place to go? And, uh, and, and it's the government that's responsible for, for overseeing them. Yeah, it's troubling for sure. Rob Louis, my guest, he's the executive editor at The Daily Signal. We'll take a short break and be right back. There's that Rob Louie song. Rob Louie is my guest. He's the executive editor at The Daily Signal. Rob, it looks like the Bidens, one of their German shepherds, bit somebody over on the, at the White House in security. And it looks like they got sent back to Del- Delaware. <laughs> it's always interesting, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. But now they're going to do a, a sit-down interview with Oprah. The dogs. That should be interesting. <laughs> well, well, uh, you know, Oprah is uh, is 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 the queen of uh, <laughs> of celebrity interviews. Yeah. So, uh, but uh, yeah, no. After uh, four years of about any uh, without any pets, uh, yeah, no. The, uh, <laughs> the, the the dogs are are certainly uh, causing a, a a fuss. That's for sure. Yeah. Well, speaking of breaking skin, let's talk about some of the uh, vaccine rollout and how we're reopening uh, the economies across the uh, the US the um, the rollouts is it uh, happening do you think in a nice orderly manner and people seem confused I'm talking to a doctor next uh, half hour about this well I'm I'm glad you brought it up I mean it's one of the things that that we are focusing on as you know from from the Heritage Foundation's work on the National Coronavirus Recovery Commission one of the things that we try to do is provide localized data or state-based data on um, on, on various things in terms of the number of COVID cases and, and also now looking at, at vaccines. And you're absolutely right. Some states are doing a much better job than others. And, um, and I think if you look at those who have had uh, both doses uh, of the, the two vaccines, um, and if you look at those who've just had one dose, um, you're seeing a situation where in some states it's over 20% of the population, uh, which, is, which is really, really good. Um, now, of course, Bill, the, the focus has been primarily on those who are more susceptible to the virus. So those, um, you know, maybe the state is saying we're prioritizing uh, those over the age of 65, and we're also prioritizing healthcare workers and those who may be, you know, grocery store clerks and things like that, because they're in a situation where they, um, they will be um, 
you know, more susceptible to, to, to coronavirus. Uh, what's clear is that uh, we are going to <laughs> shatter the uh, the uh, promise that uh, that President Biden made to administer 100 million vaccines by his 100th day. Um, we uh, which is a good thing. Um, so that is uh, that is really encouraging. The federal government to this date has already delivered 123 million doses uh, to the various states. Um, I I think that you know for us to have herd immunity. Uh, the estimates are anything from 70 to 90 percent of the, the population. And so I know that there are skeptics out there, people who, who I've heard from who, who you know, don't want to get the vaccine. And so there will always be a certain percentage of the population who, who doesn't. And of course, there's still a lot of questions about kids and uh, those under the age of 16, so uh, where there hasn't been just enough testing on it. But, you know, we're, we're, getting, at, we're getting to the point where I think more and more businesses are, are willing to... Um, to you know, welcome people back. Uh, you know, as the weather is improving, mm-hmm. people can eat outdoors again. That's an encouraging sign, and and that's what some of the things you're seeing in that latest jobs report from Friday, which just goes to show uh, to the extent that uh, that employers are, are willing to to bring people back. Now, uh, we also need to contend with the situation that uh, that certain localities, you know, take like the Washington DC, I mean, is still encouraging people to telework, which prevents, you know, some places from fully reopening, but hopefully we'll get to the point. I mean, at the current pace bill, it looks like we'll be at 70% by mid July. And uh, I think that that's an encouraging sign. Um, and, uh, and if all goes well and we continue to keep on, on this pace, then, uh, maybe sooner or later I'll even be in the queue to get my vaccine. (laughs) Yeah. Well, jumping back to the immigration policy, a listener named Jeff said, why can't you just say Biden's immigration policy is wrong? Oh, I, I think it is wrong. <laughs> I mean, I, 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 maybe I was being a little bit too polite and, and diplomatic, but um, I, I think that what I was trying to indicate there is when, when President Biden came in and basically said, I'm going to do the reverse of everything that Donald Trump did, mm-hmm. uh, I think it sent a signal to people that, um, you know, OK, let's uh, let's charge the border. And that's why you're seeing such a surge of people right. who are making the way. And, uh, you know, I interviewed Tim Murtaugh on the Daily Signal podcast this week, and, and Tim Murtaugh is the former director of communications for President Trump. And I asked him the question, you know, what are you most concerned about uh, the Biden administration undoing? And he said, you know, there is such dislike for President Trump that they just want to undo all of his policies, even if the policies made sense and were actually helping our country to, to thrive. Mm-hmm. Uh, just because Trump had his name on it, you right. see people wanting to undo it. And I think that that's where you see things unfortunately. Like, why have we got, how did we get to a situation where, where Republicans and Democrats just want to undo uh, what, the, what the previous guy did? Uh, and you, I think back to things like Bill Clinton. This is not that long ago. Bill Clinton working with with Newt Gingrich to uh, to balance the budget, to pass welfare reform. I mean, these were monumental changes that uh, that certainly were for the betterment of our country. And it seems that today we're just at such ideolo- ideological uh, differences that uh, we just can't get get past it. And and that goes for for a whole number of policy issues. And immigration is probably one of the ones that's at the top of the list. Mm-hmm. Rob, it looks like even some liberals are getting sick of the cancel culture. 
Yeah, wasn't it interesting to hear Bill Maher on uh, on his show Real Time uh, devote an entire uh, episode to uh, to cancel culture? And and the interesting thing is here, Maher is very much you know uh, somebody who comes from the left wing side of the perspective. Um, he usually is attacking Republicans and conservatives, uh, but he had a warning. He said that uh, that liberals need to be prepared because the woke mob will come after you uh, and they need to stop apologizing. And and he said, stand your ground. Uh, there are so many examples of this just on a daily basis. I mean, uh, the most recent example today, Dumbo, Peter Pan, Aristocats, Swiss Family Robinson mm. have all been banished wow. from the kids menu of Disney Plus because of stereotypes and harmful impact. I mean, these are these are you know movies that my my kids have watched. And and maybe I'm, again, being naive. Um, the, uh, the new editor of Teen Vogue, um, who is, uh, Alexi McCammond, uh, was, uh, attacked, uh, for some tweets that she had, um, from several years ago, which she had previously apologized for. And, you know, I, I just think that even, I mean, this is why I don't want my kids to be on social media. Um, <laughs> why I'm taking a break from Twitter is because I just, I can't stand it. You, you, Bill, you know, I, uh, I, I don't want somebody when they say something when they're 13 year old, years old to be scarred for life. Yeah, I mean, you make I'm mistakes kidding. at times and, uh, and, uh, you know, we, we all sin. I, I think that this is another thing. I mean, I really think that it's unfortunate we've gone too far with cancel culture. I agree. So Rob, during women's history month, were there many conservative women that were recognized? Uh, well, <laughs> we are doing our part to uh, to try to call attention to them. And uh, and Kay James, the president of the Heritage Foundation, is a great one to hold up. But she wrote uh, a piece saying that, you know, oftentimes you will see uh, the mainstream media highlight Michelle Obama, Nancy Pelosi, Hillary Clinton and others like them, uh, but not list a single conservative. Uh, and there are people that are worth celebrating, like Condi Rice, who was the first black female secretary of state, or Joni Ernst, who was the first female combat veteran to serve in the Senate. Um, there are, you know, leader, female leaders who've uh, led major corporations. And we have a, a working mother uh, now serving on the U.S. Supreme Court in Justice Amy Coney Barrett. So a lot of examples for us to highlight. And we at uh, the Heritage Foundation are highlighting one a day for all 31 days of Barge. So just as you're doing the random act of kindness, we're trying to highlight uh, a, a woman who would be worth looking up to as a role model. Yeah, that's fantastic. All right, Rob, we've only got about 40 seconds left. Is there any other newsy tidbit you have on your desk you want to share? Uh, well, uh, you know, Bill, I think that uh, one of the the big things that uh, that you know we are focused on this week, in addition to uh, to all the news that we talked about, is just trying to <laughs> maintain a positive spirit and and be uplifted. Amen. With spring with spring on the horizon, um, with uh, with daylight saving time coming this weekend, I I am hopeful that uh, that the American people can uh, can see the brighter spots and uh, and and take one of those actions that Faith Radio is recommending. And and we're trying to do that with our family. Uh, we've got some good news that we can worship in person again, Amen. and we'll be outside this weekend on yep. Sunday morning. And so we're looking forward to that, and uh, and and praying to uh, to our good Lord that uh, that all will will be well. Well, Rob, you always bring a wonderfully positive attitude to the show. So thank you for that. I appreciate thank you. Thank you, Bill. Yep. it's great to be with you Thanks today. Thanks so much, Rob. Louis has been my guest, executive editor at the Daily Signal. After a short break, we're looking forward to having a discussion with Dr. Jeff. Barrows, and he is going to talk to us about the vaccines and what we can uh, what we can look for, and some of the herd immunity issues, and 
and some of the side effects as well. That's all coming up next. Welcome back to the program, Dr. Jeff Barrows. He uh, serves as the Senior Vice President of Bioethics and Public Policy for the Christian Medical and Dental Association. Jeff, welcome back. Good to be with you again, Bill. How are you? I'm well. So uh, you were really super smart in science and chemistry, weren't you? Uh, well, let's just say I was kind of nerdish and enjoyed them both. <laughs> well, I uh, appreciate you coming on the show. We've had so many listeners uh, ask questions that we can't answer over here, and we thought, well, we'll get Jeff on, and he'll answer them. A lot of people have questions about vaccinations and some of the vaccines that are coming on the market, and they used fetal cells in research, uh, and we're concerned about which ones we should take and which ones we should avoid. Well, unfortunately, Bill, all of the available vaccines have made use of a fetal cell line to one degree or another. And so let me, first of all, dispel any uh, misconceptions. There are no fetal cells actually in the vaccines. Uh, There are the, the vaccine companies use the fetal cell lines in a, in a confirmatory step or in a testing step or in the case of Johnson and Johnson in the ongoing manufacture of the vaccine. So unfortunately, all three of the available vaccines do make use of what we call abortion derived fetal cell lines. Now, these are cell lines that were started from abortions. One abortion was done in 1972 in Amsterdam, and the other one was done in about 1985 or so. So there is no evidence whatsoever that the abortion was done for the purpose of starting the cell line. But yes, I know this is a very emotional issue for a lot of the Christians listening. There is, there is this connection that is there. And the way I try and describe it is that both Pfizer and Moderna only use the fetal cell lines in a single confirmatory step during the development of their vaccines. And they are, they are done with using the fetal cell lines. They aren't going to use it anymore. Uh, however, Johnson & Johnson is a different type of vaccine, and it requires what's called an adenovirus, and, and the adenovirus is actually grown on one of these fetal cell lines. So they're using the fetal cell line, not just for a confirmatory step, but also the ongoing manufacture of the vaccine. So I hope that helps. It helps a lot. Jeff, what is the the difference between a fetal cell line and fetal cells? Well, fetal cells would be, uh, you know, more directly uh, from a a fetus. Okay. Uh, So, 
Uh, and then the cell line is a line, actually, they took kidney cells. I, I don't want to get too too graphic for for everybody, but they took uh, kidney cells and they created what's called an immortal cell line. These cells just keep dividing and growing and growing generation after generation, even here we are uh, decades later. So it's a cell line rather than the actual cells from the fetus, the original mm-hmm. fetus. Okay. And Jeff, your wisdom and counsel to my listeners about the vaccines and should they go and get one uh, and how should they uh, proceed? Well, that's a great question, Bill. I mean, ideally, we at CMDA would prefer that the companies would not use these fetal cell lines and have this association. Unfortunately, they didn't ask us ahead of time. So here we are faced with these vaccines and uh, looking at the good that can be derived from taking the vaccine versus the, the very slight association with evil. So we at CMDA are recommending that your listeners still get these vaccines. The association with the abortion is very remote. It's decades ago. Uh, we believe that the good that can be obtained from the vaccine far outweighs any evil that occurred uh, years ago. Mm-hmm. And Jeff, can you talk about herd immunity? Help us to understand that. Well, you know, it's interesting. The history of that term actually comes from cattle uh, back in the 20s and 30s when various diseases would, would spread among uh, herds of cattle. And the ranchers recognized that if enough of the cattle got the particular disease, then it stopped spreading. Hmm. And, and that's really the concept we're talking about. And, and the virus, uh, the coronavirus, which causes COVID-19, needs to have subjects that it can grow out from, and, and, and it needs to have people that are susceptible. So herd immunity is the term we use when enough people either get natural immunity from the disease itself or uh, they attain a, uh, an induced immunity from the vaccine so that roughly in, in the case of COVID-19, we're talking that we need about 75 to 80 percent of the population would either have natural or induced immunity, so that at that point then the virus can't spread anymore. It doesn't have enough subjects that it can use to grow and continue to live. And so when herd immunity finally occurs, then the virus stops spreading and the pandemic then begins to go away. So Jeff, if I had an experience with COVID, I didn't, but if let's say I did and then I recovered, would I then have the antibodies necessary to be part of that, what we call herd immunity, or do the vaccinations help us get there also? Well, you would have what I would call natural immunity then, Bill. The question that we haven't yet answered and will take more time is how long that natural immunity Mm. lasts. And so that's going to take time to answer that. So that's why now the CDC is recommending that even if you've had a COVID-19 infection, and you then would derive natural immunity, because we don't know how long it's going to last, we're saying, go ahead and get the vaccine as well. It's not going to hurt you any, and then we can be sure that you can be immune long term. Mm -hmm. I have heard reports, Jeff, of people who have had uh, symptoms resulting from the vaccination. They've had swollen underarm lymph nodes and fever, and they've been sick for several days. Uh, Can you explain why some people go through these uh, experiences while others do not? 
Yeah, I actually uh, look at that as a good sign, Bill. Uh, in fact, I've had uh, the opportunity to get uh, both doses of the Moderna vaccine. And so I had a little bit of that myself. It typically is worse after the second vaccination. And it really is a sign of how engaged your immune system is. And so I experienced uh, a little bit of uh, soreness around the injection site. And then about 48 hours after I got the second dose, I had some tenderness under my arm where the lymph nodes are. And the lymph nodes are part of our immune system. So when you're beginning to get those reactions, to me, it's kind of a confirmatory sign. I've got some immunity. Something happened with my first dose that then kind of engaged my immune system so that now I'm getting a little bit more symptoms after the second dose. And I would expect as well that somebody who has had the COVID-19 infection, that when they do get vaccinated, they'll probably get a little bit more of a reaction again because their body is, is immune system is engaged. It's, it's actively looking for uh, parts of this virus like that we're producing with the vaccine. So that, that kind of reaction actually reassures me that the immune system has engaged and you've got some degree of immunity. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't want people to say, well, I never had any symptoms at all. Am I immune? In all likelihood, you are, but it just it, it's a little bit more reassuring when you've got a little bit of a reaction, especially low-grade fever, tenderness, and that type of thing. Mm-hmm. So, Jeff, if you do have some of these reactions, this low-grade fever and these lymph nodes that are tender, uh, do you just sort of sit tight and wait it out, or do you call your doctor and say, oh, I'm having these symptoms? What do you do? I think if it's low-grade, and it's a low-grade fever, and I mean a fever under 102 degrees, and you're talking about something that's local, uh, right where you got the injection or nearby, then I, I would just say rest. Uh, feel free to take a little bit of Tylenol or some Motrin. Uh, watch your temperature. A lot of times I had a little bit of fatigue along with, with my uh, symptoms. Uh, maybe take a nap. Uh, obviously, if the symptoms don't get any better over a couple of days or you get a fever over 102 degrees or you're beginning to develop some severe symptoms like chest pain or or a severe headache, then you need to call your physician. Mm -hmm. Would you discuss, Jeff, some of the the virus uh, variants? I know I've heard there's streams uh, of other variants like the Brazil stream or the UK stream. Uh, What are we supposed to think about these? Well, what a lot of people don't understand is that viruses always undergo little mutations. And I think we're fortunate in that the coronavirus, the cause of COVID-19, mutates at, at much less than the influenza virus, which mutates at a rate four times what the coronavirus does. And so a variant is when multiple mutations have occurred in a particular virus, and and it it becomes to look differently when we closely analyze what's called its genome. So there are variants, and they're they're named with with fancy names, but typically known by where they're first isolated. So today you'll hear talk about the UK variant, which is called also B117. Uh, That was one of the first variants that came out. There's also a South Africa variant. There is a Brazil variant. And now, if you've got listeners that are closely following this, they may have heard also of a New York variant as well as a California variant. And the problem with these variants is that uh, they, they seem to be able to be transmis- mi- transmitted 
from one person to another a little easier than the original virus that came out of Wuhan, China. And what we're seeing also out of the United Kingdom, where the, the UK variant started, is that it probably does make people a little bit sicker. So those are both negative things. Obviously, that's bad news. The good news is that so far, the vaccines seem to be very effective against especially the UK variant. Um, there are some differences in the mutations with some of the other variants, like the South Africa variant. And uh, one of those mutations does tend to make the virus a little more resistant to the vaccines. And uh, they're still effective, but their effectiveness is reduced by about 60-65%. So, uh, with these new vaccine technologies, what we're seeing is that companies are able to quickly manufacture a slightly different vaccine based on this new mutation, this new variant, and they're already getting those to the National Institute of Health for testing. Mm-hmm. That's a wonderful. Jeff, let me take a very short break. I've got some listeners uh, coming with some questions. Maybe we can address some of those after the break. Dr. Jeff Barrows is my guest. Uh, from the Christian Medical and Dental Association. We'll be right back. I'm so glad to have Dr. Jeff Barrows on. He's from the Christian Medical and Dental Association. We're talking about the vaccines and Jeff, here's a question I'll ask for you, and you have to promise me that you won't have any follow-up questions to this question, because I don't know if I understand it. Um, And it's a question that a listener has about the safety of a vaccine that is made in a brand new way as the COVID-19 has been made, using the messenger RNA, which is a whole new way of doing vaccines. Is it safe for people to take? That is a common question that I hear, Bill, and I think it's a very valid question. I think what I would would tell your listeners is that actually the messenger, the mRNA vaccines have been in research for many, many, many years. And uh, in fact, they had entered uh, phase one studies with humans with four previous vaccines, one for rabies, one for influenza, one for an infection called cytomegalovirus, and one for Zika virus that was just finished up at the end of 2019. So uh, I think it's important for listeners to be aware that this is not the first disease, even though I see that on the internet a lot, that this is the first time messenger RNA vaccines have been used. That's not really true. It's the first time they've been used in a very large way. And, And they are relatively new. I think the first vaccine study that was done in humans was 2017. And uh, so it it is new. Now, the second thing to point out is that even though whoever named Operation Warp Speed wasn't thinking about the the implications for safety, um, it is true that normally a vaccine would would undergo multiple years of testing. But, But here's the critical point. 
most of that testing is going to be done by the pharmaceutical company, and they're investing their own money in the testing. So they're not going to enroll a whole bunch of people. They'll typically enroll maybe 1,500 or 2,000, look and see how well it does, and then they may do another study with another 1,500 or 2,000 and, and, and do that over a long period of time. Well, the U.S. government wisely said, we can't wait so what they did is they said to the companies, we're going to pay the cost for this study. You don't have to worry about any risk. And they said, you need to enroll at least 30,000 people into each of the studies. So that's 15,000 that got the active vaccine and 15,000 that got the placebo. So what the government did is they took away the risk for these pharmaceutical companies and allowed them to do one big study to look at the, at the safety right away. And in fact, Pfizer, instead of stopping at 30,000, they enrolled almost 44,000 people in their phase three trials. So here we are several months after these companies have had the vaccines approved, and we have literally millions of people, 60, 70 million now, that have received the vaccines, and there's been no major side effect that's been reported other than the initial few allergic reactions, which we can talk about if you want. Mm, yeah, I do want to talk about that. So let's go to that right now. Let's talk about some of the side effects. Well, almost almost every vaccine has uh, a little bit of a preservative in it. Uh, and it's a particular chemical that a very small percentage of people, less than 1% of the population, will have a very strong allergic reaction to it. And that the name of that allergy is an anaphylactic reaction. They can, they can actually die unless they get a special medicine. And so when the Pfizer vaccine, which was the first one that received approval by the FDA, started rolling out, and it does use this particular chemical, uh, polyethylene glycol is the name of it, uh, in it, which is very common in a lot of different vaccines, sure enough, people started having allergic reactions. So once the CDC recognized that, they made sure that anybody who's had any allergic reaction to a vaccine should not get the COVID-19 vaccine. And the, the number of these allergic reactions has dropped off markedly. Mm-hmm. Jeff, when I think of the vaccines, how many have received it so far? Like 60 million, did you say? I think at least 60 million. Okay. I haven't checked recently. We're talking tens of millions of people. Yes. Yes. And when we think of, and you may not be able to answer this question, but is this going to be a shot that we're going to have to put on our list of shots to get every year? That is a distinct possibility, Bill. Uh, I think it, it, may, it may be similar to the flu shot that we talk about every year. Uh, and it may even be that the two of them are combined. It's a little too early to say. But I, I do think it's important to point out that this coronavirus, even, even once we get herd immunity uh, to the major uh, variants that are out there, there will always be new variants that are going to be forming in other parts of the world. And so I think we're going to be be stuck with this virus for the foreseeable future. So whether it's an annual vaccine or maybe an every three to five year vaccine, I think it's very, very possible that we'll have to be getting regular updated vaccines for this. Mm -hmm. Jeff, when you watch the news, how do you process uh, when Dr. Fauci comes on and, and some of the other medical experts who are weighing in on how this is being handled and what we're supposed to do? 
Is there some fear in all this? Is there good science behind all this? What are your thoughts on that? I do think there is good science. Uh, I think uh, I have a lot of respect for Dr. Fauci. I think he's he's doing the best job he can. Uh, he's he's kind of straddling the fence between politics and science, uh, which is a difficult fence to straddle. Uh, but I, I, I do think that there is a lot of good science. I, I, I will have to tell you, Bill, I'm very disappointed to see a lot of different YouTube videos from doctors that are speaking to large churches that are uh, are really proclaiming false information on a lot of this. And uh, a lot of them will say statements like, this has never been studied in humans before. I just cited, in fact, four cases where it has. They'll make these, these very uh, unscientific claims that are not backed up by science, and it's confusing a lot of people. And that's, uh, to me, as a Christian physician, that's very frustrating because there is good science out there. I think it's, it's been done well. The, uh, I think Operation Warp Speed, as we look uh, back uh, years in the future and look back at this, we'll see this as an amazing scientific development. I think in the future, messenger RNA vaccines are here to stay. I think uh, for a variety of reasons, they're they're very quickly to able to be produced quickly and relatively easily, and uh, they can adapt to variants. So I think this is going to be the wave of the future. Mm-hmm. The survival rate, listeners said, a survival rate is over 98%. The unknowns because of no clinical trials is so great with the modifications to our genetic makeup. Doesn't the harm outweigh the benefit? And sh- well, there's this- an, a, a false assumption in that, and that is that there is a, a change in our, our genetic makeup. Um, there's no evidence whatsoever that messenger RNA uh, has the capacity to change our genetic makeup. Uh just for basic science for your listeners, uh, our genetic makeup is in DNA, deoxyribonucleic acid, and all our DNA is contained within the nucleus of every cell in our body. The messenger RNA vaccines, first of all, really only act very locally, and that is in the muscle where they're injected, specifically the deltoid muscle of our arm. And once the vaccine enters the cell, it does not enter the nucleus. It does its mechanism of action out in the cytoplasm, specifically what's called a ribosome. And so there's absolutely no evidence whatsoever that messenger RNA vaccines can change our DNA. So uh, that's, uh, that's a false assumption there. And certainly the good that we're seeing in lives being saved is going to outweigh any potential a complication of the vaccine, in my view. Mm-hmm. Listener also said that there have, uh, regarding side effects, there have been a lot of deaths due to vaccine. I personally know a healthcare worker in her 50s who died in her home of a massive stroke. Yeah, that question gets raised, Bill, and here's the difficulty. I mean, if you even look at the initial populations that got this vaccine, so it went out to initially first uh, to healthcare professionals and to people in long-term care facilities. Now, so we're talking about people at the end of their life. Mm-hmm. They've got multiple diseases. That's why they were so uh, so high on the list because they're at high risk of dying from COVID. So would these people also die normally, whether or not they get the COVID vaccine? Well, the answer is yes. So. How does the CDC or any other government agency measure 
whether there is an increased risk of death, and that is by simply looking at the death rates among the populations that got this this vaccine. And they did that, and they actually found that the death rates among the populations in these long-term care facilities that received the vaccine had a lower death rate than what was expected. So have people died that have also gotten the vaccine? Absolutely. Would they have died anyway? More than likely, they would have. And that may probably include the, the uh, healthcare professional that your listener is referring to. People have heart attacks, they have strokes, they have seizures. And so it, it's really critical in the science to, to establish a connection between the administration of the vaccine and the subsequent uh, event that happened, adverse event. And that, that is a little bit more difficult to do, but you can do it when you look at larger populations. Mm-hmm. Jeff, I have not gotten a vaccine yet. Um, is there any chance they'll put it in a Flintstone vitamin so I don't have to get a shot? I don't think that's going to oh. happen in the near future. Sorry, Bill. This kind of is a tough way to end the interview. Jeff, thank you so much for uh, taking time to do this sh- the show today. I know this has been extremely helpful. Just got a really nice uh, message from a listener named Jim who said this is the best COVID-19 interview I've heard since the pandemic began. So thank you so much. Well, my pleasure, Bill. Thanks for having me on. You bet. Dr. Jeff Barrows has been my guest. He is uh, with the Christian Medical and Dental Association. So we're going to take a little break. When we come back, hour two is just ahead. We're going to have Bob Moeller on for the whole hour, and that's about caring love in marriage. Love one another deeply from the heart. It's one of the greatest gifts you can give another person is the love that they never received growing up. We're going to talk about all kinds of wonderful dimensions of love. That's all coming up in the next hour. Be right back. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.